Yo, what's going on, guys? Episode 18 of the Pokey Talk Podcast. Recording pretty late this time around. Don't know how long yeah. we'll go, but uh, yeah, what's going on? You going to be able to stay awake over there? Uh, we'll see. I usually go to bed by about 11.30 midnight, but <laughs> I, I fully caffeinated. Well, I, I'm trying to be uh, the best I can be. I think I'm having almost 600 milligrams of caffeine a day or something like that, so... Say, I'm usually in bed by 10 o'clock nowadays, and it's already yeah. 10 right now. So, But yeah, we got a good episode for you. Um, it's Older, Rarer, Minter. Is it always better? You know, I'm sure you've heard the saying many times if you've been in the hobby, especially like four years or so. Older, Rarer, Minter, Better is uh, something that gets tossed around almost like a meme. I think SM Pratt. You know, made it kind of a, a famous meme. That's his quota um, for any cards that he might find. You know, he runs it through that system, and uh, it does a pretty good job. But we're going to talk about that and why it's not always better. Um, there are some factors, especially nowadays with modern and all that, that are definitely, you know, throws a curveball in some of that stuff. So, uh, but yeah. What's going on? I guess we can hop into news unless you got something else to announce. Well, it's not really so much an announcement. I guess it's a more of an update. Um, I was able to successfully sell off my slabs, like I mentioned in uh, the last episode. I got pretty close to the value I was wanting, honestly. There was a little bit of variance, which I kind of expected. And, uh, you know, they were kind of on, well... Some of them were junk slabs. <laughs> uh, not all, but some of them that were junk slabs were quite common, uh, common like the Evolutions, PSA 9s. But the, he took them all, and he really did honor the market price, and everything was fair. I got pretty much that close to 70% between the cash and and store credit. And honestly, I mean, the guy was, was great, great to chat with, and uh, it was y- Eddie Gaming in St. Louis. Um, yeah, it was pretty and, pretty cool store in there too. Yeah, everything's separate. There, I, I kind I should have kind of figured this, but yeah, their online store is completely separate. I did keep an eye on everything, and I, depending on how much I was going to get, was going to dictate how much I was going to get uh, in cards. And I ended up actually going with the Shiny Magikarp and Masaki Machamp, and they were both in near mint. Their March is lightly played, but. I mean, they were on the borderline between like lightly played and near mint, but I would say they lean near mint, low in near mint. <laughs> yeah, they they look looked pretty good, and you know they they didn't seem to have the Masaki mark on the Machamp, no. which that alone is pretty good in itself. So. Yeah, and that was a Kamiya card, obviously, and I have that in the English variant, um, the promo, but not the. I didn't have the hollow for the Japanese variant, so I that one is one of the. Komiya is more expensive card, so it was good to get the add off the list. And the shiny magic carp is the first shining that I was able to get. And yeah, I think I'm going to try to finish maybe Neil Rehab this year, honestly. Yep. I uh, had a bunch to sell as well. I went the eBay route with mine, did, did really well with uh, a lot of auctions, did better than expected, really. Um, just one hiccup, though. I shipped a, you know, 
one of my bigger cards, the Grand Party PSA 10 that I was selling. You know, I sold that and the Mimikyu screen promo PSA 10 to just buy back the 9 because I kind of, you know, I graded those myself, kind of made the decision to just go after the 9s on those. And, yeah, the hiccup was that the Grand Party sold through the Global Shipping Program and ended up getting damaged. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a bummer for sure. Um, should be getting refunded on both ends, though. Obviously, it's not the, the buyer's fault. Um, I guess technically, you know, you could buy it, damage it, and just return it. <laughs> but that's a pretty crappy thing to do. But, the uh, you know, the guy seemed genuine, and I think he's a pretty serious collector. Um He's really cool with the process. You know, we had to wait like an extra five days for eBay to step in. And so we waited for that to happen. Not that, you know, I don't want to refund the guy, but it's said on there, like, if you think your card has been damaged by the global shipping program, wait till this date and then we can step in. So that's what we did. And today was actually the day that they could step in. So... By talking to the eBay people, I kind of had to go around and talk to a couple of them. But it seems like they're moving towards, you know, <sighs> refunding both of us. They wanted him to keep the card and fill out this form that's like an affidavit or something in case, like, like it sounds like they're going through the insurance process, if that makes sense, on their damaged goods. So just going to have to wait. It's been been kind of antsy you have like two thousand dollars on hold on my ebay and what's worse is it's halfway across the world i know what uh what, what country did it end up going to out of curiosity i think singapore oh no that's more yeah. like all the way around the well i guess it's halfway, literally halfway around the world and i tell you what anyway, i've yeah. had like singapore is hopping with the collectors like high-end collectors yeah. too because i've had multiple big cards go to singapore i feel like like, Singapore is, like, one of the main places that I ship to through, like, my higher-end cards on the global shipping program. Yeah. I can see that, for sure. Just, you know, that's for I'm, uh, hand tan. Yeah. Hardcore, hardcore player Pokemon Go. So, I mean, it's not really too crazy to think that there's also some pretty crazy cool actors out there, too. I almost never ship to Japan, though. I think that's kind of funny. Like, I guess Japan has their own access to their own stuff. Well, yeah, like, Bai, you know, I don't know how many people use that, but you have to wonder if there's also maybe, like, certain discords or some sort of chats or something. Yeah. Forums, maybe, that we don't... I mean, I figure somebody would know about it, right? But who knows? It, it seems like a, also it seems to be a lot of times that, I don't know, there's just a... The difference in language and communication sometimes makes it to where it's really difficult to facilitate those connections, honestly. Yeah, and a lot of their, you know, Yahoo Japan is big over there. So, like, a lot of their sales are on Yahoo Japan rather than, like, eBay. Yeah. So, it's, like, totally different marketplaces, so that makes sense. But, yeah, Singapore and then the U.K. and then Australia are the thing are the ones like I remember, but Australia has been like not as often because they updated their import tax or something like that or their shipping costs. I don't know something weird yeah. happened there, but I send a lot of stuff to UK and Singapore for sure. 
But yeah, hopefully, you know, if you guys uh, use the global shipping program and it looks like the item's damaged, you know, essentially you ship it to the global shipping program, right? And once they have it, like, that's all you're responsible for. So then they ship it through their shipping program and they pay the, you know, they do all the custom stuff and they handle it on there and it gets all new insurance. So... Yeah, it should fall on them. And they didn't notify me when they received it, like, hey, the package is damaged. And the buyer actually sent me, you know, they they put different stamps. They do a new label on the package. And that was actually, like, crunched up as well. So it's very obvious, like, it pretty much happened after the fact. But, yeah, it's it's pretty rough. The PSA case is cracked on both sides. <laughs> It, it, yeah. It's one of those right uh, over the front of the card too. Right over the front of it. Yeah. And like I it didn't look like it went all the way through, so that would be good as the buyer, I guess. <laughs> and some of uh, those like I've seen them before where if the plastic doesn't separate, like if there was just pressure on the plastic that made it crack, but there wasn't pressure on one side enough to make it like separate then the card is usually good, but you never know. Like if it broke and then something pushed down on one side of the crack harder than the other side, you know, it pushes into the car and then there mm-hmm. could be indenting. But if it was just even pressure that made it cracked, then it should be fine, but you never know. And I'm not about to test it if I don't have to. No, but the other guy could. <laughs> yeah, that's the only weird thing. So, yeah, if they refund us both, then, you know, he I guess he keeps the card as well. I mean, he could bust it out even if it's dented. I mean, it's still three, 400 still, bucks. I mean, he still so. has the card. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know how he would send a PSA. I guess the nearest one would be, I guess, the UK or would it be California from there. But I don't know if... if they would allow such international packages. He would have to have like a, he would almost have to get like a, a, um, a account at like heritage or, uh, yeah. uh, some sort of vault or something like that, that ships to you. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, you know, with any other item that makes sense, like most people can't take a damaged item and sell it for a good amount of money. But with Pokemon cards, you know, I'm thankful that it's looking like I'm going to not have to pay this. But it's like what keeps people from buying graded cards and like breaking them in a safe way and then like getting a refund and then resubmitting, you know. I think you'd have to be very elaborate to try to do that. And then once that happens, I bet eBay would also see a consistent, a consistent trend. Yeah. So that would also come into effect. Like, oh, this is your third card you have reported damaged in a row. That's over two thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> Eventually, there would be that, and there would be like, okay, you're having you're gonna have to start recording complete video proof of everything before we accept anything else, or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah. But there would there would be tightening up of the loopholes. Or you could just have multiple accounts or different addresses. And, like, I almost hate saying this process, but, like, you know, someone could buy an item through the GSP, damage it, 
and then tell the seller, you know, hey, just just wait and let GSP cover this. And so then GSP covers it, and then he doesn't have to send the card back. Because, like, yeah, normally it doesn't benefit him because he has to send it back in order to get the refund. But in this weird loophole, like, you could, in, you know, I guess get free cards without screwing over the seller. Like, you just get both get refunded and keep the card. So, I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird loophole. But, yeah, they, they'd almost certainly be tracking that like you said, to make sure it's not happening multiple times. But, yeah, another thing we want to talk about, though, with uh, graded cards, um, we do have numbers on how many cards that were graded by each company for September. And uh, we're not going to elaborate too much on this because we got a pretty good question, and we'll talk more about it there, but... uh, no surprise, PSA came in right about a million cards for September. And the other three are CGC, SGC, and BGS. What What do you think is a 1, 2, and 3? Not counting PSA being number 1, obviously, but what do you think 2, 3, 4 are? What order? CGC. I could see SGC being 3 and then BGS being 4. You are correct. Oh, am I really? <laughs> yeah, wow. so SGC beats out BGS. But... They're they're growing. Um, it's interesting to see that, but it's starting to spread from the sports community slowly, trickle into the Pokemon community. And you know what? I mean, I've also seen people with Disney Lorcana cards also, but it's still not there yet. Like I, from what I like, they seem like they grade pretty well. I mean, their case, I'm kind of iffy towards, um, or, or their slab, but they seem to be consistent. A lot of people like them, and I mean, you know, consistency sometimes is key. That's all you need as a grading company. Like that's consistency of multiple factors, but that's how you can really build a following within the hobby. Yeah, I like their slab. I like the black background. All um, black, black. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't like like I like the simplicity. I like their style more than CGC, but I like CGC's stuff more. Like, I like the aesthetic of SGC, but I like their labels kind of. Yeah, they're. I like that they're plain, but they're almost too plain. I like CGC's case more and stuff like that. It's like a weird blend, but BGS. BGS, I mean, I I don't really care for across the board myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the black border for the SGC is really makes the card pop. Yeah, but yeah, CGC graded ninety thousand cards, so about a tenth of what PSA is grading. I would just say that's not even close at all. I thought it, I thought the numbers would be a little bit closer, but yeah, that's nine percent. Yeah. Yeah, PSA at a million, CGC at 90,000, SGC at 69,000, and BGS is at 63,000. So pretty close between SGC and BGS, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about more. We'll talk about that more down in the uh, question section because, yeah, we do have a good question on that. And uh, 
especially about the future BGS and CGC, especially in Pokemon side of things. I'm but, sure the opening up of PSA's tiers has a lot to do with that, too. People have been just waiting to send the PSA for a long time. Well, <laughs> yeah, hope. it's been a big talking point since that $15 tier opened. I mean, yeah, people this whole time were like, you know, CGC for smaller cards, PSA for big cards, but now that we're seeing that lower tier, I mean, people... uh People having different opinions now, so it didn't take long to swap that. And I don't think we really expected PSA to go this low this quick, but they going. But yeah, more yeah. about that in the question, though. Yeah. Uh, the only other things we want to mention is the Charizard UPC. So just last week's episode, we did a how low can it go in our game. And uh, yeah, it can go pretty low. <laughs> so Target. And, oh, go ahead. And I say, guess what? The pre-order still available on Target. I saw. I thought I looked this evening, and it was like uh, pre-orders have been sold out or something like that. I mean, I could click the option, but yeah, here, let me just click the option. Pre-order now. Oh, okay, it is out of stock. But it, yeah. why would it give me that option, anyways? Never mind. So, yeah, it yeah, was on. Uh, <laughs> it went up on Target today, and it was up for hours at least. Like there seemed to be a lot, and I mean, it was going around like wildfire on social media too. Um, I mean, I, I got mine. I wasn't even worried about getting mine. Look at that. I, I got got up. It was like eight thirty a.m. It's like oh, order. That's all I did. <laughs> well, you told me about it, and then I waited, and then I like. I mean, it was like eleven almost noon before I ordered mine. Like, I ordered another one. Um, but then I think shortly after I ordered, they got shut down again, or the pre-orders sold out. But Well, even the Poké Center was still kind of going off and on. Like, at first, before I got the notification that um, Target was available, I tried po- Pokemon Center, and I got all the way to the checkout, and I don't even know. I might, I might, might have gotten it. I haven't actually looked at my card to see if I have a $1 hold. There has been some stuff I've ordered where it didn't show anything, and oh, it just showed up. I, I, I got an email, is what it was. It, that was the uh, celebrations. Um, I've, had, I've had that too. There, it's like Pokemon Center. It's really weird for orders. I had that problem when I like was trying to use my special every Charizard code. Like the order just would not go through. And I was like, great, and then. Uh, I had to wait until like super late at night, like this time at night, and to get my order in pretty much. I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, it's already below my price point. I think it's going to be below Philip's price point as well. Yeah, I saw some going for like 157 They haven't broke 150 yet. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking it's going to go down to potentially... I would be shocked if it actually goes down to MSRP on, on eBay. Um, I would. I just can imagine that with their fees and, like, most of these people eating shipping. I mean, it's possible. Um, so I guess it's possible. It can go down to 130 120 But I should say, I guess it's possible to get down to 120 But I would be kind of surprised if it goes down below 135 on eBay. You might be able to find it. There's so many places that you can get an MSRP to, for the secondary market to be 
above really like the fees and shipping, I would be very surprised. Essentially, MSRP plus potentially fees and shipping, and that'd be like the max. That's probably like one thirty five, one forty, or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, I have a hard time seeing it. You know, bust down below one fifty, just because that's like. I feel like that's a price that people would be willing to pay just to scoop these up, you know, just because like, I think, you know, kind of what we were talking about with the Disney Lorcana cards, you know, it, it made so much sense to us that those cards could easily be like two to $300 cards in PSA graded cases. So like it justified the price, you know, these are kind of the same thing. Like, if you grade all three of these cards, it's kind of hard for me to like see them less than a hundred dollars. So right there, I mean, that's three hundred bucks with the grading fees. I mean, even if you shave that down to like two hundred dollars, that's quite a bit of wiggle room. I mean, people would buy these for one fifty to grade those and make you know fifty hundred bucks pretty easily. I could honestly, I could say two of the three being a hundred bucks and the ten. I the VMAX, I'm not so sure, um, but it's possible because it still is a cool card. Um, yeah. I, I can't, I mean, there's going to be so many of these graded. Every company. I do think they will be around $100, but once, I mean, when they first hit the market, like there's going to be a flood, right? But it's going to go down like usual. I would say around 100 for for that, but yeah. I just can't see see some of those being like 150 200 though. In a ten, but even if they're like a, even if they're a hundred a piece, it's like, you know, you could buy that box for one sixty, grade them, get them back, pay for shipping for all under two hundred bucks, and sell them for three hundred. It's a pretty pretty good turnaround there, but that's what I'm thinking. Like, I think those cards artwork are just. Like the artwork and being Charizard, it's just so good that they're easily going to be $100 cards. I would almost say the PSA 9 should be close to 100 bucks, But, you know, that's just me thinking of like what the product is. But that's not considering how many there are. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, with it being up on Target, I mean, yeah, there could be just so, so many of these. And the GameStop that's pre-orders stay open as well for a while, too. Yeah, that's that's my reasoning, is people are going to love these cars, and they probably could even go up higher, but, like, I can't imagine them ever being crazy expensive. Like, a 1000 bucks in 20 years, maybe, with inflation. I mean, that's, like, the most. But cause there's, I think there's going to be that many. I, I really do. I, I, I still do not think... We fully grasp necessarily how much is imprinted for some of these cards, and I think we can't know. It's going to take time, like years, honestly, for us to fully realize just how much are being printed for like all these mainstay cards, like your special delivery Charizard, your Charizard DPC, and I mean, to some extent, potentially even some of the alt arts. Obviously, they're hard to pull, but I mean, still, it's something to consider. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think a lot of us are kind of misguided because we're thinking of the celebrations with the metal cards. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, 
that's a hard product to print in general. I mean, you got those metal cards in there. And that's why, like, I kind of believe in that product. You know, just the fact that there's metal cards and the manufacturing is a lot more, you know, that goes into that box and this box. This is just cards, you know. So it's, it's definitely a different different game for sure. I think the RCS UPC is going to be, you know, more rare than the Charizard because they got metal cards yeah. in there. Yeah, I, I I got that one on pre-order. Uh, but they're not gold cards, so that kind of sucks. Yeah, I was um, bummed that it was just a normal card, just metal. Yeah, but whatever. I, I bought it. I'm going to open it. You know, I, I ripped finally, like, my Pokemon Go Center ETB, and I had so much fun just slowly opening it and just appreciating it that... I'm very excited to open both this Charizard UPC and the and the RCS UPC, and I'm not even worried anymore about oh I got to keep it sealed for the potential value. Yeah. Just to me that that that, that no longer seems attractive. I mean, if you're re- really in love with that box, obviously, and I think I will do that on a few items, but like, no reason to do it as for stonks. I feel like I'm just enjoying it more, not worrying about sealed with after learning so much within the hobby, how sealed and selling it is viewed. It's just, it's more carefree, honestly. Yeah. And that's the way to go. I mean, it'll, it'll pay off eventually, but I was going to say one more thing, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, the Arceus box. Like it's also a bummer to me that, you know, they just picked a playable. Like, yeah, it's an iconic card because oh, yeah. it's playable. Like, they could have, you know, not being gold is one thing, so it's not really, you know, as special. But the card they picked, I mean, yeah, it, it's the people that that is marketed to, like, don't really want that. Like, they want the card to play. They don't really want the card as a collectible and so the people who are collecting, who go after like something like this, special products, they don't really care about that Arceus because that Arceus isn't really collectible. <laughs> you know, it's only yeah. pricey because it's playable. So it's just kind of a uh, yin and yang opposite of uh, their target audience here. It's upsetting. I was hoping for a special alt art or something. Um, I was any of the old Arceus cards or any of the modern promos. Well, I was hoping for or like a, a, re, a one that was redone from other alt arts. Like it didn't have to be a brand new one either. It could have been, it could have been you know their the the V or the promo from Japan. It could have been any of those. Yeah, just something, just something. And on top of that, it's a different style box that don't even match the other ones. And <laughs> I got my yeah. OCD a little bit, but I mean, it's sleek though. Yeah, it looks cool. But well, and then you have the, the big one coming out with the next three is actually the one from Japan, the end of era promo. That's the the biggest one, and it seems like it's coming out next month, and nobody's talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of fly but... under the radar. I'd be shocked. But who knows? You could be right. 
Yeah, I got a few cards on my radar. I'm going to wait to get this case closed on eBay and then hopefully be able to use that money to get some stuff done. I already bought back the Mimikyu and uh, the Grand Party. Like, I'm pretty pretty good with all the other cards I sold, but yeah, ready to get those going for sure. That might be on my list next month. But, I mean, yeah, the only thing I think we wanted to mention... Maybe our PSA updates. You got some Lorcana oh, yeah. updates on your cards. Yeah, so what can I say? I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not expecting getting six out of seven tens. And the only nine that I got was the Mickey promo. And I'm honestly thankful that I got a nine. Because there, I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, there was a piece of edgeware that I missed in the photos. And looking at it, I'm like, I could get as bad as a six. I could get a nine. I could get a ten. Who knows? Yeah. The fact that I got a nine, whatever. I'm thankful I got that. Um, it should. I would have gotten a ten if it weren't for that, but it is what it is. Um, it was a crisp Mickey. But the other ones, yeah. Elsa, Stitch, Hook. Cruella, uh, whole set. Yeah, the whole set was all tens, and nice. yeah, I, I, I can't even explain the amount of energy that was bursting through me. Um, and I did, I did not get upcharged, so I was pretty stoked about that. Uh, I just missed that, and so that that cut down on the cost that I was expecting because I was doing the math. If I would have got upcharged, like the math that it was going to hit me with, it would have been like almost sixteen hundred dollars, and I dodged a bullet. So I'm thankful. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot. I'm thankful. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm thankful, and uh, I don't know if they updated the price thing yet, but no, they they will they're soon. still not upcharging yet. Yeah, they did announce it on their, you know, Instagram that hey, we're grading Lorcana cards now. So it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, usually how it works is like. They'll announce it, so now it's like official. And then the cards they get back after they announce it, like those are usually the first ones where, you know, it, it's kind of targets for upcharges. So mine are already through the system. I should be hearing about a shipment, you know, any day now. I yeah. kind of expect it today, but I'm sure it'll be tomorrow maybe. I sent a Shadowless Charizard in at the same time, and it was only one card, but it's already on its way back. It got a six, which kind of on the fence about. You know, I was thinking it'd be like a six to eight range, and it did get the six, but it does have quite a bit of hollow scratching. But it's a really nice yeah. looking one. Like, it's a strong six for sure. Yeah, I think they looked at it, and after, you know, after you showed me the images and they probably it probably went from like in potentially like a seven or eight to a six. My guess is because the scratches, I noticed it pretty quick. Yeah. So if it would have had scratches, that would have been fine. But I think having so many is what did you in. Yeah, um, it's like the whole hollow. Like it's a really yeah. nice, clean card. Like as far as like centering and like card stock. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot of a lot of little nicks in there and stuff like that. But either way, I needed to get it graded. 
I uh, sent out all my other Shadowless cards in a $15 sub, and I might sell all those. Like, I'll keep the Charizard, obviously, but I might sell all the rest. I don't know. But, yeah, I oh, guess... Oh, No, the uh, Shadowless no. cards. Oh, okay. I was like... Okay, my Lorcana cards, I don't know. I'm kind of stop you, but... I'm kind of in a tough spot with Lorcana. Like if I get all tens, I'd probably keep them all. If I got all nines, I'd probably keep them all. But I think I'm gonna get a mix. Um, I think my Elsa is probably gonna be one of those nines. And there was one other, maybe my Robin Hood or my Captain Hook. I think had like they were gonna be a potential nine. So, like, I don't think mine, like, even from the start, were as good as yours, but I'm more about consistency, and I collect nines, so I almost want those in a nine, so I can just buy, or I could just sell the tens and buy the nines, but if somehow I get all tens, like, I'll probably just keep them as that, but I don't think I'll get all tens. Might just go for a, might just go for a nine set. Or just go for a new set to sell everything and try try again. You could. I mean, yeah. I and the nines know. are also going so low too that it's almost like not worth it. The side nine was so low, unless it's an Elsa or a Stitch, everything else seems like it's going pretty low for a nine. It's unfortunate. Yeah, they're pretty much evening out. Um, yeah, I'd I'd probably sell the tens and just buy nines because like I'm I'm more about just having a set, and that's what I collect is nine. So. That's mm-hmm. really all I want. My Mickey, I mean, I'm sure my Mickey's going to be a 10. And my signed Mickey's probably also a good shot at a 10. Did you do the 10 and the auto? Like the grade on the, on the auto and, and the 10? I did the card grade and just authentic on the auto. I, okay. was, I was worried that if they did an auto grade, since there's two signatures, they wouldn't grade it. And I don't really care. Like I think I think auto grades are kind of dumb, honestly. Because yeah. they, they measure, like, the pen stroke and the <laughs> vibrancy of the ink and weird stuff like that. It's like, I don't care if his pen was, like, at the end of its life. He signed it, you know. <laughs> yeah. I just want it to be marked, like, authentic. Like, it's a real signature. And I just, like, so, that I, yeah, I just did the card grade. So it should say, like, grade and then authentic on the auto. And I saw people on the discords too, like their names weren't even in the system yet, so they were having trouble authenticating. So hopefully just putting authentic like that, they're a little more lenient to that maybe. But yeah. I guess we should hop on to the main topic though. That was quite yeah, the no, uh, intro could, section uh, there. I was going to say, it was the intro news and last thing I think a little longer than we planned <laughs> We really, uh, we'll probably end up doing like a Lurkana, or I hope we can we end up doing something over the Lurkana once we get everything back and we can just kind of go into detail and just get all out of our systems and we'll put it on the back burner for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I know, I guess if, some people are probably interested in it, but not all, I'm sure. So. Yeah, if you can't tell, we're all, we're all in on the Lurkana. And yeah, yeah, I feel like I could talk about. It's crazy how little we know about Lorcana, but how much we could talk about it, you know. Yeah. And it always, ever since it's been announced, we've been talking about every episode. I think at least mentioning it. I'm hyped as a, as a collector, and 
potentially a player, and I guess you can argue that I'm probably an investor slash speculator. I'm, I'm all three right now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm okay with that. That's kind of how you, like, the whole idea is selling it. I would like to keep the nines as, like, a, a memory and then put more money towards more premier cards and big collection goals and Pokemon. That's that's kind of the idea. Like, I'm using it as a funneling towards my Pokemon hobby, but also I'm going to be collecting some of Morkana as well. <laughs> yeah. So... I'd say I'm like all collector, I guess, because like I'm already feeling like eh, I don't want to do all that work. I just, I just want to get my set complete in PSA nine and be happy with that. <laughs> just yeah. continue with Pokemon. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I I can see it. It's just I have a first edition Charizard I want, and I got a Mario and Luigi Pikachu I need to get, and those ain't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so if the if the funds clear on eBay, it's enough to cover a PSA nine Mario Pikachu. And if I like I could get that, and that's a very real possibility. But I could also knock out like a good chunk of my other stuff that's probably gonna go up before I'm come around to it again. Yeah. So like that dang stamp box beauty looking back, Pikachu. I need one of those. Oh my God. You should just get it. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I have enough extra like, yeah. now to get it, like even without that. But I also have some set cards I want to buy and that and a couple other little well, ones. I want to say you're probably good on that card because of, I don't think it's going to increase in value too much in the near future. Yeah. Oh, I could see it easily being five hundred bucks, and a ten maybe. Yeah, there was I think eighty thousand of those made. The nines are Some... pretty cheap. I think a Cramorant was... nine is like a hundred bucks. Well, I sent those into the bulk order we did, so we'll. And I'm pretty sure they're both going to be tens. So. Yeah. Well, if they're nines, I'll be interested. Yeah, I'll probably be selling them and I'll be buying a stamp box or something because the chance of it being a 10 is so high. Yeah. yeah. All right, main topic. Is older, rare, mentor always better? So another thing going on so long, you know, this might be a little quicker segment, so we're already probably halfway through the length of the podcast but if we haven't put you to sleep yet we got a topic that will excite you so <laughs> so yeah older rare mentor is it always better now my biggest thing for this comes with a time period and i want to go back to 2016 like i mentioned at the top of the podcast this was pretty much the time when this term was, you know, going around. Like I said, SM Pratt made a made it a popular meme. Even had had it on a t-shirt. But he always would say, older rare mentor better. That's the guidelines. And I would argue that in 2016, that was pretty much correct for the majority of the hobby. And uh I was thinking about this like you know, that was pretty much true back then, but why is that? And I pretty much narrowed it down. I think, you know, everyone who was in the hobby in 2016 was an OG collector, essentially. 
nobody really chased after modern until evolutions came around and spiced things up again. Before evolutions in 2016, there wasn't the modern scene even close to what you see today. And everyone who was active in the community, everyone who was collecting, were people like myself, people who grew up with the OG stuff, and that's the main thing they wanted. So by habit, you know, older is better. Like base set's better. That That's the OGs. And then you get into stuff like rarer. Okay, well, you've by that point, you had some rare promos and stuff. Especially on the Japan side, you were already getting some really unique promos. But, you know, that, that pretty much covered everything that was on the rare side. So rare cards were better. Although super niches existed. And just like today, if you get too much niche of a card... You might not see that growth because it's just so niche. I feel like you run in a lot of that with the Japanese cards and special P promos and stuff like that. But uh, Minter, obviously, you know, I think that's always going to be true across the board even today. The better condition of card you can buy, the better it's going to do. Um, but yeah, that was the main point I wanted to make. In 2016... That statement was completely different than today because now that can't really be applied in the same way because as we speak, you know, old Watsi Hollows from base set is arguably, you know, struggling quite a bit right now while modern is at like peak hype, hyper than 2020 hype. And you have stuff like Umbreon Altar VMAX going for over $1,000 now. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, seriously, yeah. I I haven't, I haven't checked it in like the last time I checked it was whenever we went to KCCon. I think it's over a thousand bucks now, and the Japanese one is like two thousand. So, yeah, older is definitely not the case anymore because we are seeing this unprecedented hype train of modern. Minter is still true. Rarer is not always true anymore. But there's a uh, the few other factors now that come into play, and I think uh, you cover those pretty well in your system if you want to touch on those. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so I kind of hinted this at a in the last episode, but I actually didn't have everything listed down, and I kind of got sidetracked of a few mentally at the time of like what were some of the factors that I had in mind. And... I took some time between the last episode and now to kind of write those down and, and clarify a little bit because Pratt does get it right. He does. However, he's missing other factors. I think at this point, there needs to be an updated methodology. And I, I don't think there is anything perfect, nor do I think my thing follows the scientific method. It doesn't. I think some of this is just kind of my opinion as a collector. And those five factors are, in my opinion, scarcity, art, Pokemon, the history slash story of the card, and nostalgia slash knowledge of the card, like the awareness of the card. You mentioned it before with a level of niche, of how niche a card might be. And, you know, that kind of put forth 
something in my mind just kind of figured, oh, I should check out the WB Illustrator cards once you mentioned the Japanese, or not the Japanese, but the Umbreon VMAX. And, you know, those cards, that there's a Trico. So, okay, the, the history of, like, the WB promos were essentially kids would, you know, submitted submissions of some of the Pokemon that they had in mind. Uh, or I, I can't remember if it was the parameters. I, I'll have to look hook up on it because the parameters of the two certain Pokemon. But anyways, there are some winners and there was a very limited run of amount of these cards um, sent out. I think it was like, I'd have to update it, but it, it wasn't a significant amount. Anyways, it's a very scarce amount. It's under 5,000. And those cards are going for only a couple hundred. Yet this modern card, this Japanese Umbreon, is going for or not Japanese Umbreon VMAX, excuse me, is going for a thousand dollars in a ten and hundreds of dollars raw. And everybody knows how much they've been printing this past year, year and a half. And also, I mean, everybody knows how hard it is to pull a, v, a VR VMAX. But this thing has other factors working for it that I mentioned. And in that opinion, that would be included into the Pokemon aspect. The Pokemon also includes the amount of interest in, in that Pokemon. So, for example, like a Charizard is going to pretty much always outperform a Caterpie or a Creedon. Or, uh, I mean, just take your pick in any obscure Pokemon that you can think of from Gen 6, 7, or 8, you know. Uh, but ultimately, the Pokemon does matter. And that's a major case and a potential value of a card. And of the f factors I mentioned, it doesn't have to be all of those factors. But the more factors that you can check off for these, the better. And the better indication that that card, how that card will do. Because there are definitely exceptions to the norm. And ones that only have two or three of these factors, but still continue to do well. And... One of the cards that's also very common, that somehow continues to do well, despite how common it is, is the Unlimited Charizard. That thing in a PSA 1, 2, PSA 1 or 2 is like nearly $200. In fact, uh, I don't think I, to I told you this whenever I, when I went to Heady Gaming. Um, but whenever I, I was selling my cards and I kind of started everything off and I had this list and he was going through them. <laughs> and he, he looked at my PSA 2 and limited Charizard. Because this guy is clearly an OG. Like, this guy's a little bit older. Yeah. And he said, he looked at my PSA 2 limited Charizard, and he was like, <laughs> he started chuckling. He was like, God bless America for being able to submit this. In. And then somebody clearly buys it. Because, you know, this guy's been in the hobby long enough to know that a limited Charizard is very, very common. But yeah. that doesn't matter. It still maintains its value based on simply the fact that it's Pokemon, but also it clicks off the art, the history, and the nostalgia aspect. It's got four of the five things that I mentioned going for it. It's one of the most iconic cars. Top three most iconic... Well, it is the most iconic Charizard card, absolutely, even though it's not the best card, art for Charizard. That'd be the gold star, in my opinion. Yeah. But... Yeah, that album just on a whole other level. But it doesn't matter because it clicks off several other factors. Now, you know, Watsi was mass printed, but it's still not printed to the the point where modern is today. 
but it doesn't matter because that's how many people in this hobby are interested in modern. It is its own market. It's probably the now the largest chunk of the market, even though the most the most expensive cards are mainly from the Watsi era, and or before, or if they're not from necessarily the Watsi era, they're like early Pokemon. Obviously, like the Illustrator, first edition Charizard, first edition Lugia, you know the Gold Star, Umbreon, Rayquaza, Charizard. You know, well, that's more for the lost term, <laughs> but you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's always going to be iconic for sure. And let's see. The art aspect doesn't necessarily have to include just the actual art of what's on the card. It could include the stock of the card, the style, and the foil and hollow of the card as well. Because you take a look at some of the, for example, I think the uh, sparkling cards... The, uh, the Radiant cards from uh, some of the most recent sets are a really great example of this as well, for like the foil slash hollow, is you have that ugly yellow border on the English. And then with the Japanese, it has that nice, clean silver border where everything just pops. And you are just awestruck by the aesthetic that you're getting from the card. And in my opinion, as, as a collector, that makes a huge difference. And I think it does for a lot of people. But there's also a huge factor that collect modern that only wants cards that they can read. But there's also a huge growing market as well of English collectors that collect Japanese. Yeah. I've been noticing, like in my collection, I was just thinking about today. Because in that sub I got back, I have... Uh, the surfing and flying Pikachu PSA nine and their mm-hmm. their siblings like in certain numbers. So it's like I set those aside because I was gonna keep them and then I put them in the cell pile because I'm like, well, you know, I only collect Japanese of cards I like, but you know, so I put them back in the sale pile for that reason. But I actually put them back in the collection pile. Because I was thinking about the point you just made, like how most cards look better in Japanese to me, especially the Radiant cards, like you said. I mean, it's just vastly different. The yellow border just does not do justice on some cards. But I was looking at those Black Star promos, and, you know, they look good in English. And then when you look at the Japanese counterpart and something like that, the card stock was on that glossy cardstock from back in the day that I don't Mm. like as much. So I came to the conclusion, like I'm not going to be a stickler and only go for Japanese. Like I'm going to go for, you know what I like, whichever version I like more, that's what I'm going to get. So, but yeah, you definitely uh, run into that though. It seems like the Japanese cards and a lot of cases you know they have a lot more hollow patterns that they use as well especially the reverse hollows i mean they have some amazing reverses compared to ours which has been the same boring reverse cards for a long time um definitely need to spice that up but well you know i think also art the reason why you have to include foil with the art is for example 
there was the Pokemon Go set. There was a Charizard card that was in that one, besides the Radiant, where he's like flying through the city or whatever. And yes, it's common, but people are also aren't exactly, oh, I gotta have this card. Yeah. And why is that? I mean, there's there's a lot of other factors that mostly that include the art for why that card isn't as desired as other Charizard cards. Like art is is a huge, huge factor in to what is going to be a potential card that might do better or might, for whatever reason, continue to have a stronghold upon the hobby. And you know, for me, art is one of the most important factor for me as a collector. I have a whole thing of bulk that is just cards that I like because I like the artwork for one reason or another. Commons, rares, everything in, in between. And there are a lot of great common cards that have great art. And they are kind of the underappreciated cards by a lot of individuals in the hobby when going through trying to get their chase and their fix for whatever card it is that they're chasing in that set. <laughs> and, you know, I think sometimes, like you mentioned before, like a hollow isn't even appreciated by a lot of people. And, you know, I, I have some opinions with how they do some of their hollows nowadays. I, I don't like how they do the foiling on some of their hollows, but I can still appreciate them because of the other aspects of the art, but at the same time, that doesn't limit me from just appreciating a hollow as well. But there's just a lot of, of the great artwork on cards are overlooked because people are solely fixated on the chase. And I, I think that's something that is really unfortunate with a, a lot of these cards. Sometimes the way they're pumping out these sets, it does make it some of the art does kind of look generic. I, I will be be honest with you there. Like I, I totally get sometimes why people don't think about commons because they are just mass producing as many cards as they can in some of these sets. It feels like, yeah. But but there are still a lot of good artwork as well. Like I, I get where they come from, but I think they're overlooking a lot of a great part of the hobby where you can enjoy this hobby for, on very very cheap amount if you wanted to. Yeah, it uh, you know, it kind of reflects on what Magic is doing right now. Talk about oversaturation and Pokemon, man! Magic is on a whole nother level right now. They pretty much like when a product is released, like the same week they get spoilers for other sets that's coming out literally like two weeks later. Like, they have so many interlocking and interlapping products now that people people are done. I mean, it's literally fatigue. They have their, you know, their base sets, and then they have their special sets, and then they have their special products, which is like high-end or, you know, side sets. And then they have their secret layers, which is special collection cards. It's It's ridiculous. Well, I think I think Pokemon is able to withstand that because they're keeping it to where it's only a handful of cards in each set that people are chasing. Or that's where people's focus is on. So yeah. I think people aren't necessarily being overwhelmed. If anything, they'll be more overwhelmed with how many sets they're starting to push out in a year. 
like by the time they're like they're getting their fill with one set, it's already time for the next set, and that's what people are talking about. And I feel some people get the FOMO and they feel like they they got to stay with the rest of their community or their little social media bubble, and they got to just kind of keep on going with some of these chase cards, and they just feel overwhelmed. You know? I think there is that section segment of the hobby as well, but. Yeah. It's great that they that Pokemon as a company, they are also kind of spreading what type of alt arts they are doing for the type of Pokemon that that they're doing it with. Like there, we had the uh, one of the Regis had a new alt art, and I mean I, I I don't really care for it. Yeah, it has Lugia in the background, but the art the card itself, I'm just meh. Yeah. In my opinion, the one the one that steals the show is the unknown alt art. And that's kind of what goes to show you, like, the Lithuia one isn't the great one either, in terms of art. Even though it's going to be scarce, it's going to be probably one of the more harder ones to pull in the set. Scarce in terms of pull rates, I guess I should say, um, because there will be a lot, but still not as much as most of the other cards, is what I imagine. Yeah, people are still going to go crazy for it, but yeah, that's why art is a weird one for me, because I guess it's so subjective and my art style of what I like is weird. I mean, I like symmetry on cards or certain poses. Like, I don't like the Moonbrion, the modern Moonbrion. You know, I don't really like the way that card looks, in my opinion. In my opinion. But you okay there? <laughs> yeah, got a little hiccup. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... I don't know, my, my taste for the art is weird, but I do agree with the unknown in this set. Like, that's the one that stood out to me. And the Lugia is cool and all, and I could see the craze for that, but, yeah, I don't know. I like the OG Moonbrion from Neo. That's the OG. Yeah. I know I've mentioned that so, before, but <laughs> I hate that they call so, the new one Moonbrion because that's the true Moonbrion. Well, that's also one thing about that card is it's the iconic card of this era and in many ways this generation. And, you know, we'll talk about a little more than the nostalgia aspect and how that could play a role in, in, in the future, you know. And we mentioned some also, just to kind of touch up on this, we did mention how there are counterintuitive points for scarcity, but if you look at the most sought-after cards in the hobby, the most expensive, some of the most expensive cards in the hobby... They are incredibly rare. The, you know, the the uh, illustrator are only around thirty nine to forty one copies, something like that. Yeah. And then if you you know you incorporate condition on on other factors, but like you know PSA ten Charizard first edition, and but there's also trophies. The trophies are some of the most expensive ones. Like scarcity is definitely a powerful factor, but it by itself doesn't necessarily guarantee excess value i think some one example that some people might not know as i mentioned was the wb promos those because it doesn't include the knowledge of these cards not everybody's aware of it so because of that they're not as expensive now they can get up a little bit up there in high grades but the card itself i mean you can you can collect all of them if you wanted for not i mean less expensive than it would cost to collect it in modern day whole set <laughs> yeah that's for yep. sure you almost have to look at all these factors in its own grouping now, too. Like like I said, 2016, you could pretty much apply all, and it'd be okay, but it's like now you have to break it up into its group 
so like okay you're talking about older so older mm-hmm. what like let's take a look at watsi is older watsi better than the end of watsi well kind of depends if you're talking about the other factor you said nostalgia then yeah it's older is better but you know sky rich charizard is going to be more expensive than any other card before it aside from the first editions you know mm-hmm. so older's that, not really better if you're thinking from a money aspect but from a nostalgia aspect you know one of your other factors and yeah so you almost have to break break apart these into like subcategories now but i think if you kind of have like i'm trying to think it's not like a venn diagram but i'm trying to think of a graph that like if you have this refer to this if you yeah. have that refer Al- to this refer Al- to this algorithm factor. yeah and you know when you have if if you kind of look at like when you look at a card and if you think you should buy a lot of them or you think if it's a bigger card and or it's big right now and you think you should buy in in your, in your for your card right now or for that whatever card that you're looking at i think kind of including all five of these and just kind of like marking off which one it fills and explaining why it fills this role and how I think suddenly you find yourself a formula that's damn near foolproof in, in my opinion and seeing if, if it's worth buying in on a card, if it's very expensive and you're unsure. It does get tough though. Like when you break into those subcategories, cause I mean, I'm thinking of the rarer one now or the scarcity mm-hmm. on your end. And it's like, yeah, in general, rarer is better because there's less of them. But, you know, then you break off into these niches like the snap cards, for for example. They're rarer than the illustrator and stuff like that. But, you know, they're, they're kind of a niche item, so they don't go for as much. And there's multiple of them. However, so. if you do take another factor, a lot of the OGs in the hobby and some of the people with the biggest players in the hobby are aware of these cards and they do know their value. They do know how rare they are and that some of the reasons and they do know the history behind it. Like some of those cards check off every single factor as well. Yeah. And you, sometimes you when you have like as little cards as or as few quantity cards as you have of these and some of them in some cases haven't really hit the market and suddenly you kind of understand how some cards like that rare i mean they just kind of do do the work and and how they are as expensive as they are just because of its place in within the history of the hobby and the story behind that you know like you know we kind of mention everything and the art okay so the art might not be the most pristine but you know what it ties in with pokemon snap some of our people in our generation's favorite game on the N64. That was one of my favorite games. It was what inspired me to become a photographer, straight up. So even though that the art isn't necessarily the best, it's tied into an important part, an integral part, one that includes core memories from my childhood, and I know a lot of others in my generation. Yeah. Looking at any one factor, I mean, you really got to break it down, like I said, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. certain certain cards, like if they hit all of them, I mean, you don't really have to look that deep. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, art and nostalgia are going to be more personal ones, but, mm-hmm. you know, we always say collect what you like, and 
those are the biggest for that. But yeah, in general, it still works today, but there's a lot of other things you got to think about. You know, it's kind of crazy what modern's doing right now. We're, we're in the prime time of modern and, you know, I just, I just think back to 2016 and before we never had a resurgence of Pokemon until evolutions came along. So this modern hype was never seen. And, you know, it was seen in 2016 with evolutions and a few sets, but then it kind of backed off again because that was more of like a collecting thing. Mm-hmm. But this time around, it's like every set. I mean, people just love collecting modern. So, and you, look, you know what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. like, you just look at this in the future, and this is going to be nostalgic for a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, we were at the Collecticon. So many people were asking about the Moonbrion, and there wasn't very many there for sale. And, uh, I mean,. We should have probably guessed this just hearing people talk about it. Like, it's just, it was crazy how much people were still on Evolving Skies and still on this Umbreon. And, like, I still don't think I've seen a single good box opening of Evolving Skies to this day. I've watched quite a few of them, and I've never, like, of all the videos I've watched, if I bought that box, I'd be disappointed. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) It just seems like... You pull a lot of bad packs from Evolving Skies, unless, of course, you hit one of the alt arts, and then it's big money. But I don't know. It's just it's just mind-boggling. Well, like, you know, if you look at... So you can almost break down... You can almost break down between two and three kind of groups of collectors, right? Like... You have your OGs, the guys that's pretty much collect exclusively Wahatsu. And then you have some of your guys that they kind of came in in 2016 that collect a lot of the rare stuff, but also collect a decent chunk of modern as well, especially some of the more rare and more sought-after cards within modern. And then you have this third group, the, the most newest group, the one that came with the most recent hype. And... They are kind of the ones, that's such a large swath of the hobby, that in a lot of ways they are dictating where the hobby is going. And because they are the one that are starting to kind of control a lot of the cash flow that's going through this hobby. Constantly buying new product. Constantly, constantly, constantly. It's unreal how many people keep on buying English off the shelves, hoping for a Charles art, hoping for a alt art, or some of them actually do enjoy opening just to open for, for the hobby. And I think they should almost be thanked in some ways. <laughs> because they are pushing Pokemon to keep on, in a lot of ways, to keep on changing. To keep on pushing for what pe- people are wanting within the hobby. And they are definitely, I mean, all three groups are thanks to how we've gotten to where we are. But there is something that this new group is starting to form. And I, as you mentioned before, I think when we get to where this era is nostalgic, anything that was nostalgic in 2020 is pretty much evolutions. The, the last XY set, all the, most of this, a good portion of the Sun and Moon sets, especially like Cosmic Eclipse, all the way through Sword and Shield. 
these heavy hitters are going to be what's nostalgic and what's remembered. And a good portion of it's going to be the all-tarts. And there's various promos as well. But a good portion are, are going to be the all-tarts. And it's interesting because Pokemon likes to tug at the heartstrings when it comes to nostalgia. And when you reflect back to this era, what are you going to think about from this era? Primarily the alt-arts, right? Yep. I would think so. So they've shown that they're willing to do reprints, albeit with a terrible stamp. <laughs> uh, but you know what would be interesting is how that they would capitalize on this era and it would even have another <clears throat> revamping and potentially surge from this era in 10, 20, whatever years down the road is them making a set all alt-arts. All alt-arts. As like on this era. And that would make people just go crazy for the old stuff for this era. So like, you know, the original alt-arts, like the Umbra and all that. And even go new crazy over the new stuff with the new special set. And I think that's something to think about when kind of analyzing this era and the effect on the last, the lasting effect on the hobby. Cause we are in uncharted territory. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, I think about the future a lot too. And, uh, you know what the hobby's going to look like. I mean, there's so much to collect. I mean, if you spread this out, yeah, eventually anything that's not like super crazy is going to dwindle away. But you'll have cards like the Umbreon that, you know, surpass time. Like it'll always be popular because when people think of this era, I mean, that's the card. And I think it'll always be the card for a while. But, uh, yeah, people people love it. So I always wonder about that, like what would happen in the future. I mean, we think of it with baseball, like – you take any given set with baseball, there's only like one card in it that stands out. But you take multiple sets and there's only one card that stands out from one set across that entire year. So will that be Pokemon too? I think, you know, I don't know. It's it's weird to think of. Well, and another thing to think of is I can't help but think of how they've changed the stock of the card again. And... I think, I don't know which set it was, but it, it was post-evolving skies and sometime within the last year or so. And it's thinner. It's incredibly thin, the, the stock is. And yeah. I don't know, that just has me... I mean, it's different with there's a foil on the card It's because it, you still have the several layers. So it still does okay, but it's not quite as thick. But like, you take a look at that and like... I've had a few sports cards from Tops come in that I bought. And, like, they were they're Tops Now cards. Like, Tops Now are cards they make of current events within baseball that they capitalize on. And so they, they mass print these. But the stock of these cards was just so crisp. It was a thicker stock. And, it like, it, in the hand, it was a better quality, too. And they print less cards. So, overall, though, than what Pokemon does. So that, obviously, like, you can kind of understand why they do the the thicker stock that they do but at the same time 
I can't help but wonder how some of these cars are going to hold up over time because of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're very easy and everybody's grading them, but all these other cars, they like, feel like almost like paper thin, don't they? I, I know it's been a thing with Japanese cards. I mean, the screen promos are notorious for being like pretty thin. I mean, they're super thin. I think like light shines through them more than any other card. Like it's almost weird if you hold a raw one. Um, so much so that like I remember when I got those cards in when they came out. Like I think I posted the E4. Like, hey, what what's up with these cards? And I think Charlie was the guy who responded. Charlie Herlocker, who said they were you know abnormally thin. But so it's been here and there. I just the only thing I noticed with the card quality or card stock is like the lack of quality on English side. Yeah. I don't know if it was just Pokemon Go set or if all sets are like this. I don't really open up any sets unless it's like a key set. Um, well, but man, it, it was I, terrible. I say I took a look at my origin, the lost origin, the cards I uh, opened at the KC Con, and those cards were just as thin. I figure that's going to be the norm going forward. Honestly. Yeah. I can't remember if the Go cards were thin or if it was just crappy quality. I felt like they were thin. Like you just kind of like rub it up, up and down your your body or your arm or something, and you can just kind of feel how flimsy it is. Yeah. But I I made an Instagram post and it actually did really well. People were like sharing it and everything, but you hold a stack of the Go set, commons and uncommons. And it's literally like a different stock for the commons and uncommons. Like it, it's darker and light, darker and light. And then the width of the card is off too. Like it's real. it was really weird for me to see that, just how bad it was and how inconsistent it was. And then you open up a Japanese product and it's like, it's like a solid brick, like perfectly cut. It's, it was like just a world difference. And, you know, they make it easier. Uh, well, if you get signed up with, you know, like a Tenso account, it's honestly pretty, fairly easy to acquire a Japanese product. And through, through the emergence of people's interest in Japanese product on the English side, there's now several pretty popular businesses that really, really specialize in that sort of thing. So it's easier now than ever to acquire Japanese product. And, I mean, honestly, the quality the stock of the card being a decent part of that and it just does wonders as a collector and somebody involved in this hobby just appreciating it because it really you don't realize how big of an issue it is or how big of a factor it is until you experience it yeah how the texture the foil the art everything kind of this whole aesthetic blends and intertwines with each other that really, really invokes a different experience with the collector and with the opener. And it really, really does. It's one of the best charms in the hobby. I'll just say it like that. Yeah. Well, what else can we talk about for it? I mean, pretty much yeah, I mean, covered the bases. Uh... 
I mean, like, I, you know, scarcity, art, Pokemon, um, the history and story, nostalgia. Like, we kind of we kind of touched up on the history with a little bit, you know. But there are some factors that even some cards that do have history, a good history, mainly like the Lost Era Pokemon, doesn't quite get the love it deserves. And you, you see that with the corresponding market and some of the highest cards from that era. Well, the highest cards in the area are going to be most of your gold stars. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, beyond that, there's some great hollows from that era, too. EX cars from that era. And, I mean, yeah, there might be like $100 in decent condition. But you know what? In the grand scheme of things, that's... You think you that, that would be something more than what it is. But it's yeah, not. it's weird. I mean, I guess that stuff, like, yeah, there's a lot of EX era stuff that... I feel is super underrated because it's just, you know, rare and nobody collected back then. But I mean, it doesn't really have the nostalgia factor because nobody was collecting then. And I think at this point, you're just going to have people trickling in to various eras that they see on social media and certain cards. But I didn't quite realize how much of the hobby was, you know, Solely, I knew that they were the majority, but I didn't realize how much of a majority they were really until recently. Yeah. And sometimes that's kind of what get, being in your old social media bubble sometimes creates, is you don't always see things happen on, happening on the outlier or outside your vision. Or maybe you're so focused on a certain thing within your own vision that you just don't see some of the th- extraneous variables that are moving because you're so focused on other things. And a lot of people thought the big play was to go after like EX era stuff, but yeah, naturally that was the next thing. But I don't know, people people have poor judgment when they're evaluating the uh, the nostalgic and reasons there. You know, a lot of people assume like, yeah, they should be worth more, but and they probably should be. Yeah, nostalgia is a powerful factor. And that's a big reason why a lot of us collect, is that nostalgia aspect. And the fact that, as you mentioned, these people weren't collecting during this era. Has less people connected to this era, and they just don't, and they, eh. I'd rather collect modern in whatever era I grew grew up in. But I'm like a modern more, for example. You know, so there is a strong factor, but obviously, as we mentioned with everything else, not the only factor. All of these factors play role with each other and it's really more of a guidelines and if you think oh is a car gonna be a good one to buy now or buy later just kind of look at a few factors or all these factors and just kind of like explain why okay 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 and before you know it honestly it's a pretty good basis to to go by yeah yeah so does the uh does the forgotten era remain forgotten here on out? I mean, as we go, you know, people are going to maintain their interest in modern. And five years from now, they're going to look back. And Evolving Skies was, you know, their nostalgia. That's their main drive of nostalgia. So, I mean, it's not like people are going to go back and experience the EX era anytime or the seal Ever. products too, it costs too much. And then if you look, and it's sometimes so hard to come by, and the main cards that are value 
from the era are the gold cards. And honestly, a lot of people think that a lot of those cards are astronomical in value. And in high conditions, yes, they are. Uh, but last I looked, um, the Charizard Gold Star and like, okay, it's not the best condition, but I'm pretty sure like it's, the Charizard Gold Star Raw and beat up slash damage condition was going under a thousand dollars. Yeah, I think they've been that for a while. They're always like they're expensive, but they're not like crazy expensive, but they're also like really hard to find in good condition. So they're like this weird thing. Like if they were like, as popular as they like should be, then yeah, those things can get pretty nuts. But you know, it's in the forgotten era and a lot of people you know, are only looking at the big ones, but yeah, you can pick them up pretty decent price for lower end stuff. Like lower condition. But they're they're tricky. I mean, I I love them. I have a whole set. Probably never get rid of them. Outside of Watsy, they're probably my favorite things by far. But a lot of those sets. I mean, if you don't get those pulls, it's just garbage. I mean, Pokey Rev opened a uh, freaking EX Deoxys box this week, which is insane. But it was kind of a disappointing box. Like, no gold stars. I mean, there's only one gold star in every estimated two or three boxes. So, just having those odds. Like, you could buy two boxes and not pull a gold star. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. They're kind of like the alt arts today. I mean, yeah. Especially in a set like that with like three gold stars. So if you do pull that gold star, like it could be a Latios or Latios. <laughs> so yeah, and with how expensive and hard it is for those to come by, that I would that would suck hardcore. And well, I guess my internet's crapping out right now, <laughs> or, or it's probably my computer. Like it says, eBay won't respond. Uh, but uh. So, anyways, last last I saw, they were under a thousand dollars that you could get hit and buy. So, and I think some people think because of the hype, a lot of these people that came in from the hype, they think some of these cards are astronomical, absolutely astronomical to buy, and they really aren't. I mean, earlier this year, you could get shadowless like the the whole non commons and all that for under. It wasn't that much. It was like like under five hundred, and I think you could get the whole set for like. A thousand? Like, it, it really wasn't that expensive to get the whole entire set. And even some first edition sets for base set, you could get for like two two or three grand. And I mean, that's really not that bad. I mean, especially if you compare it to the price of some modern sets. And I think some people don't quite realize. Like, obviously, they're not like PSA 10, right? Yeah. They aren't. But I mean, they're not necessarily bad condition. I understand the desire to have it near mint. I do, but like if you just wanted to collect, I mean, you, which is what I would be looking at for the, the majority of it, it's really not that bad. I think one thing we have to think of though is like casual people are not spending three thousand dollars in the hobby though either. No, they just want to spend a little bit of money at a time, and that's how they enjoy the hobby and. I think a lot of that also ties back to nostalgia as kids. That's what they remember. 
Yeah. They've been going to the store. They remember going to the store and buying this product and opening it. And that's and like the act itself is nostalgic, not even just the cards, but the act itself. And yeah. I think that's and part of people don't care enough to research as far as we've done in the hobby. And that's a large percentage. And that's as far as they go. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like, you know, I kind of make YouTube videos not to really get big or anything, but I was listening to Dan, you know, from uh, Catch Em All Collectibles, and he said something that I didn't really think about, you know, Pokey Riff and these guys on YouTube you watch, they're making content catering to like the 99% of people, like casual everyday viewers who can tune in and, you know, surface level knowledge. And then people like him, people like me, people like all of our favorite collectors. I mean, it's kind of like you said, you're building a bubble of people that you like. But the people we like are the people who are like us, and we're in like the top 1% of the hobby, like going harder than every casual person that you've ever known, you know. So to us, it's like, oh, it's not too bad. It's only like under $500. It's like the casual person couldn't imagine spending that. Or with the Lorcana set, $2,000 and potentially another 1000 to grade. And, you know, and then you're looking at selling that and you're looking at even going to the next level. And, you know, people are even high. I mean, you're you're on like a different level than me. And then people are even higher than you. Yeah. You know, like there's, I guess you could say I probably am in the 1% for how much money I spend. But like, I've also, I mean, this might be a response bias or whatever, but there's been a lot of people that post on or have posted on like Reddit that hoping like for especially several sets, like thousands of dollars worth of just one set, like Evolving Skies. People have done that. Yeah. But it's, it's like $2,000 they might open. That's, that's the value before they open. The value after they open, maybe a quarter of that. <laughs> You know, well, something does happen too. Like when you start spending more money, like you kind of become numb to it. I think I, I think this was brought up when you bought the Lorcana set because I think you said something like it's most I've ever spent on something or this and that. Yeah, and I was like, well, once you do it once, the next time is a lot easier. <laughs> and the first cut's the deepest, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, I, yeah, I throw around thousand dollars like nothing sometimes, just knowing the hobby and stuff like that. Had some random person last summer, you know, contact me about Skyridge Charizard that I have now. Through bought that for a thousand bucks on the spot, you know. It's like okay, I'll take that. Yeah. But, yeah, so there's there's a long way to go, and I, I just I just remember all that because I remember when I was in the hobby, like looking at these gold stars. I mean, the most expensive one, it was still the Umbreon Espeon, but at the time they were like two hundred dollars each raw. Um, you know, checking that old sub I had, I got a nine Umbreon and an eight Espeon, and I think I sold them both together for like six hundred bucks as a pair. So yeah, they had to only be a hundred or two hundred raw, but it's like 
I saw those cards and I saw the gold star cards and I just thought to myself, I'm never going to be able to buy all these cards. And slowly but surely, you know, you get them. And then I thought that about the crystal cards. Like I didn't collect the crystal cards of E-Series because I was like, there's just no way I'm going to afford the crystal cards. And sure enough, got those too. So it's like way different perspective. Like when you first enter the hobby, like you just think everything's expensive and you really do have to do the deep dive to start becoming numb to it. But And, you know, you could have people that spread to the Lost Era or other earlier eras than the one that we're in right now. And you'll have you'll have some people, and I I believe places already have. That's why some of these cards have stayed up even half half of the hype. Like your Shadow List that you sold what was it in, in PSA nine? They two, they double or three times their value in some cases. Yeah. And it's not even like the the high end Shadow List. Well, I guess the one with the Alcazar, but that's still not like the highest card in the set. Yeah. And. Obviously, the Charizard and the Big Three are, are even more than that, but still. Yep, it's uh, it's wild, and you know, it just goes back to all our factors. I mean, you really gotta gotta look at what you're doing, and you almost have to have that surface surface level knowledge now to even know which direction to go to, but. Yeah, I hope just our talk helped you a little bit anyway, you know, kind of all over the place like we do, but, you know, that's kind of our thoughts on it, but I guess we should hop on over to the question and wrap this thing up, don't you say? Yeah, the only thing I could say is, uh, just for the mentor aspect, usually mentor will do better, or almost always mentor will do better, um, I think it's really the only difference is if you approach a collector who just wants to have it. But if you're the collector that has the money, you're going to go for the best condition possible. That's almost universal as as a collector. Yeah, that's really the only one that's like true no matter what situation. Like mm-hmm. that is just how far are you willing to go? Yeah, yeah. obviously the mentor is going to be better. It's going to be better looking better easier to sell better value when selling better all around and that's but, the only one that's really completely tied to a fiscal value i, I feel like or a, you know yeah because that that one is like usually yes but sometimes you can't get the most mint based on your budget yeah so i'd only say it wouldn't be the case if like you know it's literally how far do you want to go like, yeah, mm-hmm. mentor's always better across the board with all factors. But, like, if you just want the card because you like it, you know, you don't really care about the super perfect condition, maybe it's not better. Maybe you could use that money to buy more cards. You know, mm-hmm. buy more cards with that money or buy better goals. So, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not always better based on your situation, but. It's not one to worry about. <laughs> no, not at all. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, moving on to the questions, you had a uh, good question about the grading companies, which we can wrap back into the conversation from the intro. Yep. And my question is, originally it was worded, before I you know, I heard the numbers, it was worded, has CGC 
surpass BGS within the hobby as the clear number two preferred grader. And now you can almost argue how relevant is BGS even at this this point. I mean, it's still relevant, right? But like, it no longer is the power that it used to be within the hobby for the most part. Yeah. But, but what do you think? Yeah, I think if it wasn't for the black label and some sports card support, I think BGS would really be struggling. They're doing okay. I mean, yeah, they're kind of struggling. They could be doing a lot better, but, I mean, I think they're doing pretty well. But, yeah, I think CGC, I think CGC, like for Pokemon, no doubt, CGC is number two, no matter what. Um, they offer a good service. It's mostly Pokemon focused and it was mostly direct relation to like the void in the market when PSA closed sports cards. I mean, I would not send any sports cards to CGC there. I would only stick with, uh, SGC, maybe BGS, maybe, but definitely PSA. Same with yeah. Pokemon. I mean, you could go kind of anywhere with Pokemon, but I mean, pretty much just want to be PSA or CGC. But I think they Unless have. Unless you think it's a perfect card. Yeah. I think they have, yeah, past BGS and SGC for sure. Yeah, the only situation would be like if you're trying to chase a black label, because black labels are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they look nice and all that, but. Super hard to get, obviously, and it's unique to Beckett, and it's Beckett's thing. So, out of all the grading companies, they do it best when it's, like, depicting a perfect card. CG, he, CGC has their perfect 10, and they show you, like, 10, 10, 10, 10. But it's kind of, it looks like their normal label. It's just labeled in yellow writing, which I like less than the normal way. <laughs> so, well, yeah. It's... It they don't try hard. Like, for how hard they made it when they first started grading, it was kind of a slap in the face. Like, okay, here's our tin. It's the changing of the color, and that's pretty much it. I would have been more impressed with, like, a gold label or something along the lines of that strategy. I know they don't have to, like, copy one for one, but they can have, like, a variant that's equal in, in collector interest. But they well, didn't. It's literally yeah, like it's yellow font, yellow writing. Like yeah. Make the yellow like, like you can make that gold or make that hollow, like or a something. shiny gold. Yeah. Yeah. Just it looks sort of worse than the normal label. And you know, I think CGC kind of because of its history with comics and it's it believes that they are established and in other areas in the collectible industry, and they believe now they're just as equal to PSA, and in a lot of ways, I would say they're probably right. Not all one-for-one, one, but it's pretty close. And, I mean, them having that mindset, you know, you got to believe. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't have issues with them believing that mindset. What I do have issues is that they don't feel like they need to change anything. In some ways, that's kind of PSA, too, because... I think PSA is really missing out not having some sort of perfect label distinction. Mm -hmm. 
It's it's been tossed around like if PSA should do subgrades, but I don't know. People are just so set. I mean, there's not the only bad thing about PSA. There's not a whole lot of room on the slab label. I mean, some of the cards, the way they abbreviate things and type it all out. I mean, it's already pretty busy already. Yeah. But maybe they could put it on the back or something, or maybe they could even if they gave you like an insert. That was like a certified business card of that cert number, and like you know, just a more in-depth grading service. I mean that that'd be cool. I think it would be some sort of foil. Like you don't have to change too much. You can make it like a chrome or like a platinum foil, mm-hmm. or like a little like, like maybe like a a ten plus. Give it like a little like plus or a little symbol on the thing something or you know something that just thinks it as being perfect or like being in the top 25 percent or something i don't know they are both missing that and i think that's something that we will see because one thing that competition is good for is good for the consumer and in this case it's collectors so i i i hope CGC would definitely do something. I definitely want to see them do something. PSA, I would with how with the how grading is the new norm, and everybody's grading modern. I would like to see a distinction with how many pins that they're handing out. Like yeah. what is it? Like probably ten percent or so on average, maybe. It's more than that. It's more than that. I don't know how many tens that they're getting, but it's significant and. I, I believe in the grade for the most part. Sometimes there's inconsistencies, which you know I don't agree with. But there's different levels of 10. And since you don't have a 9.5 to show some of that variation and diffusion of like the stats, I think you should go upwards. Still have your customers happy, but you can even go further to make your customers not need to choose really CGC or DGS. Mm-hmm. But it's something they haven't done yet, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. My question was, you know, given the prices of PSA coming down, and they continue to go down, like where do you think CGC's place will be in the future? Like. I mean, it seems like right now it's pretty much $15 at CGC, $15 at PSA with the latest special. CGC was asked if they were going to adjust their market because, you know, PSA is obviously selling for more than CGC. I mean, even the 9.5s to the PSA 10s, I mean, just just do way better, even though nine times out of 10, you can crack out some of those 9.5s and they become PSA 10s. There's a lot of people making plays like that right now and doing well. It's a, it's a weird time, but with the, uh, with the prices being the same or like near each other, you know, CGC says their service and pricing is fine because of their turnaround times, which they do have better turnaround times but it's essentially saying they're not going to change the pricing. So if this continues where they're close, where do you see CGC like fitting in in the future? 
Well, I still think they're they're they are cheaper than BGS. So, and I think because of the amount of people that came into the hobby during the 2020 hype, and how many people end up either willingly or unwillingly, I guess you can say, going to CGC, and a lot of those individuals being satisfied with CGC. Although, admit the first big issues was how hard tens were. A lot of people were satisfied just getting their cards rated and being being able to sell them. And you know, you have to you have to wonder how many of those people will be loyal to CGC and how many of them would go to PSA. I also have to wonder how many people that had cars at PSA and it took a long time, how many of those people have taken it personally and have hated PSA because of it. You know, there's there's a lot of factors that can be played why people would become loyal to CGC. And with how large of a percentage, like we mentioned before in this episode, that the new people take up in this hobby, you have to wonder if basically them alone will keep CGC and lift it to be the number two. Because right now it's kind of a muddy waters with who's number two. There's, there's, like, there's, like, there's, a, there's a clear one and then everybody else. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at currently, and and it's it's like sports and TCG related. Like, if you're only talking sports, like I think CGC would be last because yep. you know it di- it directly connected to the Pokemon collectors, and I think that's kind of where you're seeing SGC kind of creep in because it was pretty much solely sports just like BGS was, but the people creeping into Pokemon using those companies are more likely to go with SGC rather than BGS because, I mean, for the longest time, it was just a pain just to submit to BGS. It's a little better now with their new system, and I think sometime early this year, they, they hinted at a new slab, and people thought it was a a joke because they basically essentially made it a joke because not everyone liked it. So it's like, here's our new slab. Oh, you don't like it? Well, we were just kidding. That that wasn't really it. <laughs> like, I think they need to do something, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, cause they, that's kind of where I'm saying in terms of the competition is good for as a collector because we're getting variety. And... I think you'll also see, because of this new price point with PSA, I think you'll see CTC use that as potential another variety. I think we're going to kind of see a little bit of variety. And unfortunately, well, I mean, I I could see even PSA adopting some of these features to keep people going to them as well, whatever they may be. Maybe it is what we want, and the uh, 10 with, like, the foil or something, or even maybe... Subgrades on the back. However, I feel like a lot of collectors would want subgrades on the front. But they could go that route. But I think the, the biggest thing is just the 10, like I said, the, the perfect 10 variation would pretty much seal the deal for me as a PSA guy. I mean, yeah, more or less. I like subgrades too. I wish CGC would just automatically put subgrades on there. I don't know why, but it's like pretty much like 90% of the people I talk to that 
do use CGC or do like it to some extent, don't like subgrades. They don't like paying for them. They don't really care for them. I like the cards I have in CGC. I, I collect nine fives on some certain cards. I only collect them with the subgrades on there just because it's, it's more information. It tells you more about the card. It's cool. Like seeing exactly what they think is wrong with the card. I would hate to have a card and like just kind of guess why it's like that with PSA with their, you know, single grading scale. They don't really have the 0.5 grading scale. So it's a little easier to like guess and, you know, know what's what, but I don't know. I just, I just like the subgrades. That's one thing I do like with CGC and I like, I really like their case. I really like the way, um, it feels good in your hand. I'll say that. Yeah. Because it, it's r- rounded, so it's just easier to hold in your hand as well, it seems like. Yeah. And BGS cases, I mean, they're they're thick. And I they're okay. The problem with it is, you know, people typically send higher-end condition cards to BGS because you want that 9.5. Historically, it's been pretty rare to get 9.5, and people respect that. But, like, the, the different colored labels, when you get down to the lower grades, I mean, I don't like that. You know, I think the 8 is, like, silver or white. It's just, I don't know, inconsistency. But it is what it is. I don't use BGS at all, so take that with a grain of salt. I might be kind of biased, but... It's only PSA and CGC for me. I think CGC will always have a place. I think they do need to adjust some stuff to get with the times. But I think over time, those times will change. Like I think they'll get a little more respect for their 9-5 like we talked about a long time ago. You know, they'll it'll slowly get more respect for what it is as BGS fades out unless they do something different. Um... So yeah, it'll it'll always have its respectable place, I think. Yeah, and you know, I think there was a lot of cards graded also from the modern era that are now in with CGC and with BGS now being more expensive for their economy tier. It's less reason for people to send to BGS. Yeah. And you have to wonder how many people, as I mentioned, are set are set in their ways. But also, as collectors, how much of this arrow is already CGC, and how little it, little of it is BGS? Yeah, collectors like there's not much. Co- collectors like uniformity, and I think that's going to be a big problem for BGS down the line. A very big problem. Yeah, it's kind of a problem with CGC already. I mean, now that PSA is so low, it's like, well, I mean, if they're the same price and you don't mind waiting, I mean, you're only sending in to CGC rather than PSA because you like CGC more. But there's not really many people who like CGC more, especially if they're resellers because you get more bang for your buck in PSA. And a lot of shops, some shops accept 
non-PSA. Some shops only deal with PSA. So yeah. So it's got me thinking. It's like, well, do I crack out all these nine fives of CGC? Because I mean, is it worth it? But I'm just gonna stick to it and just see how it plays out. I buy higher in 9.5s. It works out for me right now because, I mean, you're paying super cheap prices. And uh, it could potentially pay off in the future if I crack these out and grade them as 10s too. So I think it's a safe play, but you really got to, you know, only collect what you like for what it is if you're dealing with CGC right now. Because the cost of grading and fees involved you know, you could potentially only be breaking even, too. Yeah. So, like, that's the case I was in the Marnie from the Shining Star V. I thought it was a perfect card. Ended up being, like, what was it? Two 9.5s, two 10s, and... Yeah, and... You know, I probably lost, like, $200. But at the time of PSA, with how expensive it was to ship it off, be regraded it wasn't worth it it wasn't worth it so it might pay off it probably will pay off but it, you might not be able to have it pay off immediately it might take a little bit of time yeah I'm kind of thinking about getting that card <laughs> be CGC 9.5 the, sh- the, sh- the uh, Marnie from the Shiny Star V yeah looks like it's about 300 yeah. 350 right now Hey, I sold it for over five. No, I think it was no seven hundred is what it was. So yeah, it came down big time. Yeah, but it would have been like a thousand if I got PSA ten or it was something like that. So yeah. Alrighty. Well, I guess that'll about wrap it up for this one. Still hit about the two hour mark. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting a little tired. You can kind of feel it, I think, from both of us. Yeah. Try to maintain high energy, but hopefully we don't bore y'all. And yeah. if we do, well, we'll make sure to get a good night's sleep next time. <laughs> All right, guys. Not sure what the next topic will be, but we will see you then. Y'all have a good one. Until next time.